We have a mission as a congregation, and we have a vision, and we have a strategy that we're employing to try to see those things happen. So part of what I want to do straight away is to remind you of our strategic initiatives, which is just simply four things that we want for you as a person and for us as a congregation. So I want to walk you through these very quickly. We hope to help people find Jesus, follow Jesus, join the family, and make a difference. And something that uh, in our leadership team, and you've probably been wondering about, we've been having discussions about, is how does that work now? What does that look like in this new age? And so every week uh, I come and I sit here and, I, and, and the humanist in me looks back to what was before COVID. And then I look out here and I look at you who are, I can't even see because you're watching on video and I think, wow, it is so different. Everything has changed. So what does this look like now? And part of what we are um, wanting to do is just to reimagine and reconfigure and, and realize the reality in which we're at and then move to where we would like to be. So over the next four weeks, we're going to look at these uh, yet again, but from a different angle of being Jesus-centered, being other-focused, being communally discerning, and embracing opportunity, and looking at what could be in this new age, era. Um, I'm doing everything I can not to use the C word, um, which we're all tired of hearing about. But I want to talk today about this idea of, of discovering Jesus and of helping people find Jesus. And, and I wonder sometimes in my own life, uh, as I've reflected and as I kind of sit and I think about church, is I wonder sometimes if we've been trying to present a Jesus that looks a lot like a superhero that we want to preach a Marvel Jesus. And maybe you've seen this cartoon here. Jesus talking with all the Marvel heroes and he's saying, that's how I saved the world. You know, if, if you're honest, you probably wouldn't mind having a Jesus like that. A Jesus that could just swoop in and save everybody. And, and you know, like in the movies, people would be so grateful for who Jesus is and for what he's done. And everybody would see and take notice and, and begin to follow him. And I, and I wonder sometimes if we don't find ourselves wanting a Jesus that looks like that or that acts like that, that behaves like that. And so I think about that kind of Jesus and, and my propensity sometimes to want to present a Jesus like that. And then, I, and then I wonder about sometimes how much maybe Jesus, as we share him with people or as we talk about him, tends to look a lot like you, or you, or you, or me. And that's why, you know, we're encouraging people, come back again and again, come back to the scriptures, come back to community, come back and let the Spirit of God open your eyes to who Jesus is. Because the Jesus that we read about in the scriptures isn't so much a superhero who comes in with the hammer and, and just, you know, 
plows through everybody. He's the Jesus who embraces weakness. He's the Jesus who shows himself broken. He's the Jesus who accepts betrayal. And he meets all of those things with love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. And that is very much a picture of God in the person of Jesus that does not look like the superheroes of long ago or the new ones and the cinematic experiences that we get to enjoy today. So when it comes to helping people find Jesus, it's worth exploring the question of, of what kind of Jesus, which Jesus are we talking about? Are we sharing with the world. So I want to read for you um, a depiction of Jesus that the Apostle Paul gives to um, early Christians in the city of Corinth, and it's a letter in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We just had a verse from chapter 5 in the video that we watched, and I want to read the first seven verses for you and um, just let you hear what Paul says about what it means to be Jesus-centered So he says, therefore, which is following what he's writing about in chapter 3, about Jesus compared to Moses, and he says, since God in his mercy has given us a new way, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God, and all who are honest know this. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil... It's hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You see, we don't go around preaching ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. And now we have this light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. And I love what Paul is doing here because he is introducing this idea of beginning again. Beginning again with something new. And he's reminding the people of what was and the opportunity to begin something new in what Jesus has done, to join with Jesus in what he is doing. And he talks about this good news. And the very thing that Paul is doing here, he's introducing the good news as a new covenant with God. And it's worth being reminded again today that the good news is not just that you can be or are saved. That is part of the good news. Jesus came to save you and us 
But that's just a part of what makes the good news good. And there's this reminder of broadening this wide open that Jesus came to introduce a new covenant. A covenant is a relationship between humanity and God, between two people, in this case between humanity and God. And he's saying there's an old covenant, and the old covenant is represented by the person of Moses. And in chapter 3, he talks all about how the old covenant was, was kind of veiling people from seeing God. They couldn't see God properly. And the old system often is about exclusion, about excluding people, making sure that everyone knows who's on the inside, who's on the outside. And the new covenant that Jesus brings is about inclusion, not exclusion. It's about throwing the doors wide open and saying, everyone is welcome to God's table now. Everyone is free to come to Jesus. And the old covenant sometimes confused the religious system with what God was doing, and the new covenant introduces or infuses a new freedom and a new way of living. And so Paul, in verse 1, if we want to go back to verse 1 here, says we don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We don't, we don't try to sell Jesus. We simply tell the world who he is. We're not, we're not trying to create a, a new brand that people can, can get excited about. But he says, we tell the world who Jesus is. I wonder if I could just remind us about something today. That we are part of a very old story. It's the story of humanity. And it's so easy to forget about this old ancient story and see it as irrelevant because we get so caught up in the things of today in our own lives. But the story of humanity is immense. And at one point in humanity, God decided at one particular time that he would take on flesh. He would come in person and let us know who he is and what he wanted for us. Sometimes people say, why didn't God come today? It doesn't matter when God came. Whenever he came, he limited himself. It's called the, 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 the problem of particularity. He came then in the person of Jesus at one time and he became a man in that culture and spoke their language and used their um, mores, cultural norms, to communicate to the world who he is. And so this one man, Jesus, walked this earth and opened our eyes to see who God is. And then he did something profound, which we've already alluded to a little bit. He embraced weakness and brokenness and betrayal and death as the way to overcome evil, the way to break the cycle of sin in the lives of humanity, the way to overcome death and the enemy, and to restore the entire cosmos to the way it was meant to be. And for 2,000 years since that time happened, he has not stopped doing this because he rose from the dead. He lived 
and he died and he rose from the dead and he is still Lord. And I wonder sometimes if it's helpful for us to remember that and to ask ourselves the question, how willing am I to believe that this is still relevant and true and life-changing for me today? Because if I convince that that's still hugely powerful for me today, that may influence the way that I'm willing to help people find Jesus and share him with others. There's a, there's a problem here, though. And I'm sure you've experienced this. Well, Jesus is alive and well, and, and the good news is there for everyone to see. Not everyone embraces this. And Paul reminds us in this next verse, in verse 4, that there is one who is the God of this world, and he has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. And they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. Can you see the wording here that the, um, the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe? And, and maybe some of what I'm doing here this morning is just hoping to remind us a little bit. But I don't know if you, about you, but I often grew up hearing this message that people who don't believe in Jesus are just choosing not to believe. They're stubborn, they're rebellious, they're sinful, and they're wicked. And so we, we kind of put all the fault on them for not believing. And yet Paul is saying, there is a God in this world. And, and by the way, just to, to have some fun with you, is Satan a real personality, a figure, or is Satan a force of evil personified? And you can have fun going in either direction with that. But there's this recognition that more than just the God who created the universe is one, some type of evil at work that is blinding the minds of people so that not everyone can see and hear um, the good news. See, sometimes people don't believe because they can't. They're incapable of it. Because there's another force at work. And as Paul is going through this passage, you know, he's saying, if the good news is hidden from people behind a veil, it's because there's a God who's at work in this world that is keeping people from understanding the good news, from seeing the exact likeness of God in Jesus. And yet part of what Jesus is doing from the time of his death and resurrection until now is taking back what rightfully belongs to him. World War II, still something that gets talked about a lot. In World War II, there is a significant event where the Allied forces storm um, the enemy, the beaches of Europe, and it's known as D-Day, where... Tens of thousands of soldiers are storming the beach. And I want you to envision these soldiers going along the beach and there's bombs exploding and sand flying everywhere and bodies falling down and gunfire erupting all over the place. And in the middle of this chaotic scene of D-Day, there's a family pulling up in their station wagon. And they're going onto the beach for a picnic. 
And they're spreading their tablecloth as, as bombs are going off around them and they're just enjoying a day at the beach. And I wonder sometimes if part of, part of how evil works is how it deceives us. And I wonder sometimes if maybe we act a little too much like we're in a day at the beach and we need to be reminded that there's actually this cosmic battle all around us and we're invited to work with Jesus in how he combats evil. I want to read a quote for you from a scholar named Justo Gonzalez. And he says this, an important part of the gospel message is that Jesus has defeated the powers of evil and that in the end, his victory will become apparent to all of creation. When we dismiss such powers as little demons floating around or the product of a bygone age of superstition, we diminish the cosmic dimensions of the gospel. Evil is real. Evil is powerful. Evil is organized in its own mysterious ways, and we can and must oppose evil, but overcome it, we cannot. It is in Jesus, in his resurrection, and his coming reign, that we trust as we today do battle against evil powers that we know are much greater than us. And that is good news. We are in a battle, but it does not depend on us. It is already decided in what Jesus has done. And we are in a world in Western culture where people are, re, are just simply having nothing to do with the church. They have no interest in what it is that we are selling so to speak. I meet with lots and lots of young people, young adults, and have conversations. And there's this weird thing from about 35 down that there's this transition in, in, in culture and society. And I think COVID is exposing this, how people have... Um, kind of embraced life without church. And it's just something that we have to be willing to realize. And then to say, what does it mean to be the church today? And I wonder sometimes, I do a lot of wondering lately, if we've been confusing the church with Jesus and what would happen if we just began inviting people to Jesus instead of inviting them to church? So look at this verse here. Actually, we'll do it. We'll put it up on here. Paul writes this in verse 5. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. 
See, the good news isn't about us. The good news is about Jesus. And if you could sum up, you know, I, I would say, if I could sum up the good news into, into three words, I'd probably say God is love, and then second, I would say Jesus is Lord. I, I don't even want to separate those. But Jesus is Lord is the cry of the church. And when we recognize that Jesus is Lord, that really becomes a defining moment that encourages people to decide what they are going to do with Jesus, how they are going to respond to Jesus. Because that declaration of the church is a challenging declaration. It challenges all the powers of this world, the God of this world. It challenges economic powers. It challenges political powers. It challenges social powers. It challenges religious powers. And it says that all of these things that we're familiar with come under his lordship. And that means you as well. And we have this opportunity to embrace the reality that Jesus is Lord. Now there's a problem here. Because earlier we looked at the God of this world and we're told that he's blinding people from seeing in chapter 3, Paul's talking about Moses, and he's, he's relating to the Exodus story, and you can read about it in Exodus 34, where Moses, um, as he's leading Israel out of slavery, he goes into this big tent, tabernacle, and he has conversations with God. And when he comes out, so we're told that he met with God face to face. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, last week. He meets with God, then he comes out, and his face is so radiant that the people are freaking out. And so he puts a veil over his face. And then when he goes into the tent, he takes the veil off and he talks with God and he comes out of the tent and he puts the veil over his face. Masking is not new. And, and the people get confused about what's going on. And so Paul's writing about this in chapter 3, right before this passage. And he says, even today in his time, when the Old Covenant or the Old Testament is being read, there's a veil blinding people. And in those verses, Paul is saying this, people can't believe in Jesus because there's a veil over, over their mind, over their heart. And the only way that the veil can be removed is by believing in Jesus. Do you see the problem there? Are you picking up on that? They can't believe because they're veiled, and the only way for the veil to be removed is by believing. And you're kind of left going like, oh, how is that good news? Well, come to verse 6. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Who is doing the light shining? God is the one who's shining his light into our hearts. What Paul is doing in chapter 3, I think, is showing us how we are incapable of saving ourselves. But that doesn't mean that all is lost. The good news is that God is doing the very thing through Jesus that we cannot possibly do all by ourselves. And that is opening up our eyes to who he is and what he has done to the new covenant 
to the things that are broken in you, that are lost in you, that are sick in you. I'm just looking for something that I wrote which is really profound and I don't remember where I put it. We're not supposed to tell you that kind of stuff. God's the one who's doing the light shining. And this is what it is. I'm remembering it. People are in darkness not necessarily because they've chosen the darkness. People are sick, not because they've wanted to be sick. People are lost, not because they want to be lost. And part of the good news is that God shines light into the darkness. God brings healing for the sick. God brings discovery for the lost. And all of those metaphors about darkness, about sickness, about lostness, the Bible also describes that as sin. And sin is the thing that keeps us, you know, part of it is we're unable to save ourselves. There's a brokenness. And yes, there are times when it's just simply rebelliousness. But if we always equate it with rebelliousness, then it's always that person's fault. And I think what Paul is doing here is reminding us that there's more things at play and that sometimes people are sick or lost or broken. And we need to stop seeing them as being willfully that way and just recognize that God has compassion on them and that Jesus wants them to be found, wants them to be in the light, wants them to be healed. And that's where this last verse Paul comes into. If we go to verse 7, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We have this wonderful privilege of taking the light that God has shone into our lives and actually letting that shine through us. So Jesus has come for us and now he's going to work through us. So there's a picture that's in the lobby when you came in. It's actually a, a painting that I have in my, my office, and I, have, and I have a picture of it here. And it's from a little old lady from when we lived in London, um, and she painted this picture, and you can't see it that great in the photograph here. That's why I put it in the lobby, and I encourage you, after the service, have a stand and just look at it and see what it communicates to you. But it's called the Lantern Bearers, and there's actually a little plaque that goes with it. And I, and I appreciate what it depicts. And in the right-hand side in the painting, the real painting, it's quite darker. You see almost like an image of a figure or a person. And people are moving towards that. And it's just this idea that God is the one doing all the light shining. And we're just simply... Um, allowing ourselves to be the lanterns. And, and the language that Paul uses here in verse 7 is actually that we are like fragile clay jars. We're broken pots. So here's another, here's another image of a broken pot, a clay pot. You know, we are all just a bunch of cracked pots. Or crack pots. But at the beginning, we talked about 
our, our desire, almost this thing within us that wants to have a marvel Jesus because we feel much better about the trendy, the cool, the hip, the, the relevant, the, the um, technologically advanced Jesus. And yet the Jesus that we follow was weak and broken and betrayed. I've said this before. I appreciate uh, our Catholic brothers and sisters because they keep Jesus on the cross. And for a lot of evangelicals, we like Jesus, we like the empty tomb because it represents power and triumph. And we forget that Jesus hung on the cross, that humanity meets God and his love in the cross. And the empty tomb is the verification of that love. In verse 1, Paul says we have a new way, a new ministry, a new covenant. And because of that, we never give up. Now, I, I don't know how you're feeling ab about the church these days or about what God is up to. Because COVID has really changed everything. It's even just worth recognizing that the majority of you here and probably watching are older and we're looking at how has this affected our, our young families. And the temptation is to panic or to figure out how to be better, more attractive, more appealing. And the church right now is really broken and really fragile and incredibly weak. And Paul reminds us that in these broken clay vessels is when God's light shines and maybe shines brightest. And I wonder if in our brokenness and our weakness, we have the greatest opportunity to let the world see Jesus in all of his glory. I wonder. Let's pray. in your arms stretched wide on the cross, we are able to get a glimpse of your glory, of your power, and how that is manifest in and through your love. Lord God, today, we as your people ask you to Allow us the privilege of embracing our weakness and our brokenness. And to receive from you the spirit of power and of love and of self-confidence. But of a power that is meant to be used to come under people and serve them. 
and of a self-confidence that rests solely in you, in what you have done, and the fact that you care enough about us, that you want to use us in this world. So we are not innocent bystanders. We get to participate in this crazy cosmic battle. And what we bring to the battle is not our might and our power, but our brokenness and our weakness and our shame and our guilt and our fear. And we bring all of that and say, God, I don't know if you can use this, but here I am. And then we ask that you would allow us the privilege of shining your light through us. So that so that the world would continue to find Jesus who is the one searching for them and calling them. May we center ourselves around you, Jesus, and have a very clear understanding of who you are. And may the good news of a new covenant of the enemy, the power in this world being defeated, death being defeated, sin overcome, forgiveness being offered. May all of these facets of the good news shine brightly and powerfully as we move forward together in love and in you. Amen.